0: Good evening. You are tuned in to Writer's Block on CGSW 90.9 FM. Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of every month from 8 to 8.30pm. If you ever miss our show live, you can check us out on cgsw.com. This episode of Writer's Block features an interview with me and Elizabeth Ellen, the editor of Hobart Pulp. Keep that dial locked to 90.9 FM and stay tuned. Good evening, everybody. You are tuned in to CGSW Radio, and tonight on Writer's Block, we will be conducting an interview with Elizabeth Ellen, head editor of Hobart Pulp. Hey, Elizabeth, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, thanks. Thank you so much for coming on. So I am excited to chat with you uh, tonight. I wanted to reach out to you a little bit about the current state of the writing world, uh, but for starters, for our listeners, would you like to
1: introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your experience in writing and publishing? Okay. I'll try to make it nutshell as possible. Um, I flunked out of college, so I never even got an undergrad g- undergrad degree. But um, when I was about 30, I started writing and I got on this um, Atlantic Monthly thread that was about Dave Eggers and McSweeney's The Literary Journal. This is probably like two 2000- thousand one 2002 I there was other MFA students on there and I just like looked at what they were reading where they were um publishing like flash fictions and stuff like that and I just started being friends with them and kind of kind of stole their MFA education <laughs> like you know it's like oh they're reading George Saunders who's George Saunders and who's JT Leroy and who's the different writers Amy Bender whatever that they were reading so uh, and that and that's how I met Aaron Birch who was then Hobart. He had just started Hobart a year before and had put out one, maybe two print issues and had the website and we started dating. And then um, he moved to Michigan where I lived. And so we started doing Hobart together. And then in about 2005, I started the book division, which was an offshoot of Hobart um, that I oversaw, but I still kept helping with Hobart. And in the meantime, we were both doing our own writing and putting out our own work while working on the journal together. And he also helped me with the physical design of the books that I took. That's how we got into the literary world kind of backwards. Cause he didn't have an MFA till much later. And we just kind of felt our way through.
0: Yeah. I, um, I was also in school for a bit. I was studying English literature And then I dropped out because I had an issue with a prof. It was a whole thing. He had like a thing for me. It was like, you know how there's always that one person that everyone like knows about. Yeah. I was like that person. I was like, this is so weird. Like I was never that person in like high school. Like I just did my own thing. And then one day I became a person where suddenly like random people would come up to you and be like, Hey, did you sleep with a prof? And I'm like, no, I didn't. (laughs) And I... Uh I transferred schools to go move into a writing program. I mean, Canada has like kind of a different university system. Um, and then COVID happened and I dropped it again. So like partly why I was interested in mm. interviewing you is I was like, ah, I feel a com- slight, slight camaraderie, perhaps.
1: Outliers, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> outliers, like I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, even though I feel like I had something going on, which was school. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you giving me a little bit of uh, background information, especially about you and Aaron. I didn't want to ask about that in case oh, you are cool
1: with it. He, he's um, forthcoming about it in interviews, too. So I feel like I can talk about it.
0: Um, to start off the interview, I did want to ask you a little bit about your role at Hobart, Paul, Um, Because I understand that now you're like the current owner and editor. Um, So for the listeners who don't know, recently, this journal made really big news across Twitter uh, due to an interview that you conducted with another writer named Alex Perez, and this was around last October. So for the listeners, I'll just fill in some gaps about why we're doing the interview. Um, So basically what happened was you conducted an interview with a writer who had a lot of opinions that were considered like fairly contrarian in our current kind of, you know, at least to say out loud. Yes. (laughs) yeah Yes. Very contrarian opinions to have one out loud, but two kind of in like the liberal MFA writing world. And this writer, Alex, you know, he talked a lot about how he felt different than many of his peers in like writing circles and workshops and basically, he, he voiced that his opinions, you know, a lot of his opinions centered around the fact that there's like a lot of upper class snobbery in in, in writing programs these days. Mm. And it's kind of like a, a a liberal ideology that's been taking over campuses for quite some time. I feel like most of us know this is very noticeable. Um, And this sort of ruffled a lot of feathers and a lot of editors resigned from uh, the journal, essentially. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, I was very interested when I read this. I called a friend and tried to explain the situation because this is like my <laughs> version of Kardashian drama, and he was like, I don't understand
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, like, that's you right. don't... I hear that a lot
0: yeah, yeah, I was I was at a bar reading on my phone because a friend had I, I work in the service industry to make money, and a friend had flaked out of me. Uh, We were supposed to get a beer and instead I was Uh reading this on my phone and I was cracking Uh up because I thought the interview was so entertaining. And if listeners are curious, they can check it out on the like Hobart pulp website. Um, But basically, you know, Alex kind of mentions in this interview that there's a lot of issues that he takes with the current liberal ideology. Um, and can I we find, interject
1: that he's uh, Alex himself is Cuban American, yes. working class, and he went to Iowa, which is the number one writing program in the United States and very elite. So that's his experience of yes. Uh,
0: and 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 to add on to it too, compared to Canadian universities, I know in the states like the Harvard, Iowa, like those kind of those kind of things are even bigger, I think, in the states than they are in okay. Canada. Um, And yeah, he talks about that growing up Cuban American, uh, kind of wanting a baseball career, that kind of thing. Um, So I guess I'll quote the interview just for some listeners. And this is kind of one of his, this is the quote that you see on a lot of websites when they reference this interview. So Alex, Alex says in the interview, you know, everything reads and sounds the same from major publishing houses to vanity zines with a readership of 15. The progressive woke orthodoxy is the ideology that controls the entire publishing apparatus. You'll never read a story about a pro-lifer or someone unvaccinated, as you said, because the woke commissars don't consider them worthy of being humanized or represented in literature. Let's be honest, these types of people, especially if they're white working class, are looked at as repugnant by woke progressives. The fact that we're even talking about pro-lifers and the unvaccinated in a literary magazine and treating them with respect is damn near revolutionary. So that's 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 a quote from what Alex said. Right. Um, so I found this very interesting because I don't work in literary presses. I'm still kind of young, like a student. I don't have that much experience. So I wanted to reach out to ask you, since you are editing for a journal and you have a bit more experience, have you kind of noticed this trend as well? Like, do you do you find that everything actually is beginning to sound the same? And if so, is it like a matter of style or perspective? Do you think like students are afraid to take risks? Like, I kind of wanted to ask you to get a bit more into this. Like, do you you actually see these trends in the publishing industry?
1: I suppose. (laughs) I have like so many answers to your questions. Yeah, that was like
0: five questions. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Um, All. Okay. So number one, Aaron the former editor of Hobart, my ex-husband, Aaron Birch, always said he did not want Hobart. We both agreed we did not want Hobart <clears throat> to be political at all. Or, you know, we were just, he was mostly made the journal to have fun and like publish his friends. And we weren't going to be, neither one of us at that point was in an MFA or type. We were independently. Uh, money wise. No, we weren't taking money um, or a nonprofit. So we just wanted to steer clear. But then obviously when this happened, he allowed it to be political because he allowed the editors that he had taken on. I had kind of just taken a step back. Like I used the website whenever I wanted to, but I wasn't involved in who he took on as editors. And anyway, so it all kind of blew up in his face in that he didn't want it to be political, but it became political because if we couldn't run the interview with Alex, who had a different political opinion or just a different literary opinion, then clearly it was political. And he was siding with a certain political bent in you know, agreeing to kind of try to pressure me to take the interview down but he knew i wouldn't take it down so he kind of backed himself into a corner and had to resign um i don't know how i got to that okay and then <laughs> as far as like social media and what i've noticed tre- okay there's always trends like there's always like oh the carver trends everybody wants to be carver everybody wants to be yeah i'll, I'll jump be- in and
0: say uh because you kind of got your mfa like through collaborating with people not through school yeah. I feel like you notice the trends more because they they always joke that every five years there's like a new set of like writers that the MFA students strive to become or whatever
1: yeah yeah so um so there's always style trends and fads and stuff but right now what I notice with social media is that a lot of people are almost more concerned with how many followers they have how many likes they get and it's more I would say about their persona about being perceived as the right kind of person like a moral person an ethical person so in that way you're compromising kind of as an artist or as a writer like any time you're in a collective like you have to kind of bend to the to the peer group and so like my, <laughs> I've always been like, you know, you really can't worry about being liked if you're going to be a artist or a writer, but because of social media, it's so easy to get addicted to those likes. And I've seen friends of mine that will say to me, like, I agree with you this, but I can't say it out loud. Or I have this opinion and I want to ask somebody and interview that, but I don't want to be seen as anti-woman or as anti this. So I'm not going to ask that, even though that's my true instinct or feeling. What I see right now is, is young, the youngest people are the ones who are sending Hobart that are excited about the new Hobart and are sending us stuff very excitedly to be part of it. And any, it's once you get any kind of reputation or credit that you start being risk averse and worrying about your followers and agents looking at how many followers you have and people liking you and not wanting to piss off the wrong people to piss off. Because I mean, right now I cannot get an agent to answer an email, which makes right. sense because Alex kind of disparaged them. <laughs> but I was the interview like it wasn't I, I mean, I guess to an extent it is um somewhat my opinion, but not strongly like Alex, but anyway, um you know, it's like a sorority or a fraternity like if you want to stay in the gang, you gotta wear the makeup and put the letters on and so uh social media is just exasperated that worrying about but but it is the strange like wanting to be seen as a good person is a very. It kind of goes counter to being an artist, I think, because artists are supposed to stir the pot and be controversial or at least like raise questions that other people don't raise and go against the grain so if your main objective is to be liked you can't do those things you can't be provocative
0: i can kind of understand that i know that you posted on hobart kind of like a joke list of all the people like from top to bottom of who are most curating their like social media and it's always like the writers who have a book that they're trying to get published part of why i reached out to you and i think i mentioned my email to you is like i found myself kind of rooting for you i guess or at least for the publication because I sort of vocally disagree with a lot of the decisions the canadian government has made um uh-huh. which has been very awkward lately because it's put me at odds with like a lot of like old friends that i went to school with for writing and stuff like this um so it's been shouldn't really an artist be
1: a, shouldn't an artist be questioning the government and I... that's like what historically you do well like... and this is kind of i think the artist's role which is why it kind of brings
0: into questions of like should writers actually be going to again like institutions and supporting these institutions when actually they're being funneled into a system i mean that's like not a you know unsurprising like opinion a, to have,
1: but like a pink floyd brick in the wall <laughs> so yes like, yes exactly we don't yeah. need
0: no education i think about that yeah. all the time like how it's almost like flipped um yeah. but it's interesting you mentioned the agent thing because i know alex in the interview he talks about about if you have an agent that doesn't work with you separate kindly but do separate so you have been having issues with finding an agent then hey
1: well okay this is my second cancellation and i was oh. already having trouble so i got canceled in 2014 um thing and I have had my career kind of stalled since then and it was just starting to like build back up right when this happened so um yeah I I have a memoir that I was trying to shop around a little bit and mm, crickets like nobody and like I you know not to (laughs) sound like egotistical but like I have good publications yeah like literally everybody I know has an agent and no agent will take me on so they mostly just won't even respond to me so that's
0: that's so crazy to me because it seems like like i find it so interesting because only because like i kind of made a reference earlier that this is like my version of the kardashians because i'm like oh this is such interesting drama but for the kardashians or for like other artists like musicians and like actors if they get involved in controversy maybe less now nowadays with twitter but it usually is like, it's like good news. Like any news is good news for them because you hear about them. Like for example, Hobart, I didn't know who you were before this all happened. So I would have assumed that you would actually get more people interested. No, they might
1: be interested, but the people at the top, the agents and the book editors, I think are either pissed at me and Alex and or just fearful that they wouldn't that's be crazy. able to sell up with my name because I'm just a bad person.
0: <laughs> Dude, know. I'm sorry. That's not what I expected. I would have thought that at least you would have gotten like, that's crazy. Like some people, like even some opportunists that are like, oh, this is the perfect time to swoop in because like now it's like a hot topic, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I, guess I to- was kind of
1: hoping that too. And my friends kind of said that. And I, from already experiencing what happened after the first cancellation, I was kind of cynical, but I still tried, but it's like, nope.
0: That's interesting because I, I, the first cancellation, I did re- do a little bit of reading about you beforehand and stuff. And I I think I read that like Roxanne Gay or someone like very famous actually like kind of stood up for you too, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I've published Roxanne, like her story that was in Best American Short Stories. We published, I actually took it for Hobart. And crazy. Oh my gosh. That's she's, crazy. A, she's a longtime friend of Aaron's more than mine, but she used to champion my work um, pretty regularly until. The cancellation and the initial, not to get too much into that cancellation, but when I got canceled, I was supposed to be in this anthology with Roxanne and Cheryl Strayed, um, the Dear Sugar Woman, a wild memoir, and a bunch of other women. And so initially when they kicked me out of this anthology, Roxanne and Cheryl and almost everybody left the anthology on my behalf and supported me but after that none of them again championed my work so it was like yeah
0: because it has an effect on them or 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 whatever yeah
1: and i was like and roxanne had loved my writing and never since then has she mentioned me or my writing so i mean that's that's, i still like i have a lot of respect for her and good wishes for her but it is a little disappointing of course that like someone that used to champion you just pretends that you don't exist now <laughs>
0: yeah th- i i guess i'll I'll say two things the first is i'm gonna say it's crazy that you can literally name drop her like that's <laughs> to me i'm like what that's crazy and then still and then still not you know I, like have trouble finding an agent but the second thing i'll say is like this is partly why I was so in- like curious about interviewing you, because um, basically I-, I had some issues with my previous literary department and I was very vocal about it. And in the beginning, I had a lot of like friends that did also a similar thing, like very like sort of like local celebrity writers that like, kind of championed me in certain yeah. ways. Uh But I found, I found because of, like, basically, if you don't, if you don't toe the line perfectly, even though you don't lose the friend, they won't like, you you lose the public friend. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, that (laughs)
1: has happened to me, like 90% of my former friends. And then you have to make new, well, you don't have to, but you just kind of do make new friends. But yeah, it is, it's sad, but.
0: Okay. So I don't, yeah, I, part of me wants to just keep talking with you in a conversation way, but I'm not going to do that because it's an <laughs> interview, but I could, I can say like, I honestly relate. Cause I, I ran off, I ran out to the mountains and like, people are like, oh, quarter life crisis. I'm like, no, I just keep losing my, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I lost my like degree friends and like everything. Like, I don't know what to do because because of the current culture. Um, But anyway, it kind of leads into my next question though. So I wanted to kind of ask about some of the topics that Alex brings up and it's kind of about you know how more and more the writing scene is becoming kind of like watered down with the same opinions and the same style of writing and things like this um he mentions that there's not as much masculine writing anymore because like feminist perspectives are kind of the trend um so i kind of wanted to ask like for those writers that have like a different perspective or for example like he mentioned someone who wants to write about you know a pro-lifer or someone who wants to write about i don't know a republican i suppose like where exactly do they publish should, should they go to into these programs if they might not be supported. Like, like what do we do with all the writers and the artists who don't fit in? That was kind of one of my questions I wanted to ask.
1: You need to get a job that's not in academia, that's not anything to do with your writing, basically. It's like you have to accept the reality of the situation. And that is that if you're gonna go counter to what they want or what they think is ethical, then you're gonna have to support yourself and kind of do your art without understanding what will happen to it later. Like just if you're so compelled to make it and make it honestly. And then it's kind of like how Christians are like, let God do or whatever. You're just like, oh, I'll just figure that out later. Like where it'll be published or how many people will read it. I guess you also have to have acceptance that maybe today only 10 people will read it because you can only find an outlet that, you know, 10 people read. But over time, if you're persistent and stick with it I, and you have you're a good writer i think eventually you know you'll grow your audience that way but you can't rely on academia or publishing world if you're going to go against them i mean you're just not going to be able to
0: And I guess to like also add on to that, because this is also what's mentioned a little bit in the interview, you mentioned that you have to get a job outside of academia. Um, So I wanted to ask about that as well. Um, One thing I have noticed is there seems to be a larger and larger split between people who kind of just like treat school as a career and then people who actually have their own job and, and do things. And it almost seems like the ideological split is very noticeable because there's kind of size you either like have a job and you think one way or you mm-hmm. exist in fairyland sorry to say it but you exist in dreamy fairyland and you kind of think a different way so so i wanted to ask as well like alex talks a lot about being working class especially in america i mean again i'm from canada so it's a little bit different you know socioeconomically. but do you notice uh like with your friends that are writers do you actually see the difference i know that a writing professor once told me that she thought my work was different than some of the other writers because all the women in my stories had jobs <laughs> Uh I don't know if you do you see these trends when you're editing for journals like have you noticed that you can actually tell kind of like where people come from by their writing like what's your what's your take on that
1: not necessarily (laughs) because well at least the submissions I'm reading for Hobart don't you know it's a lot of stuff about uh people's fucked up relationships and so often their occupation or whatever the characters doesn't isn't quite the forefront or I, I don't know it's it's um I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it as much. And I think I did have a friend that said she wrote a novel that she was having trouble selling because it was set in a working class factory. And she said, if she had set it in upper class, New York city, that it probably would have been much more successful. And she would have sold the novel faster into a bigger press. I don't know if that's true, but that was her take. And maybe she's right. Like, cause if the people that are taking the books the editors and stuff if they're not familiar with those other worlds they might not relate to them and you know what I mean like
0: and... it's interesting also though because it kind of brings up the question of like like I saw recently there seems to be almost this like cult of literariness where there's an idea that like only a certain kind of people like person reads books right. I don't know if you if you kind of see this idea where it's like there's a certain kind of personality and they come from a certain kind of background and they read books like for example like I was living in Calgary during um like COVID and right outside my apartment building is where we had like a lot of protests and things. Cause I was right downtown. So I would go outside and there'd be like cops that are like, you can't, you can't leave right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you can't leave. Sorry. We've taped off your entire area. I'm like, okay, thanks. Um, But there, there are people who are protesting with the government and those protesting like kind of against the government. And one thing I noticed was the people who were like for more mandates and things like this, they had signs that said people need to read more, like you need to read more books, which I thought was a little offensive because it's it's, yeah. it's supposing that people from a certain background don't read. Oh, of course. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it's it's sort of this pretentious thing that that I've been seeing and it really rubs me the wrong way. Um and part of why like this is also part of why I was so interested in Alex's interview, because he, he brings this up a lot. And I feel like there's not as much discussion about what he said around class. Like people are purposely avoiding it mm-hmm. because anyone who has like four hours to go on Twitter every day probably isn't working that much. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Well, obviously people class comes into it because the people that are going to MFAs aren't going to be poor people. No, I mean, generally they're usually middle to upper middle class. And um, so you're, you're really not getting working class people that are getting their MFAs. And 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 I don't know when MFAs became so the predominant way to become a writer. And and that does like it is like you're paying for those connections, those opportunities to meet agents, those to meet uh influential writers in the literary world. Like you're it's definitely to me like a sorority fraternity, which is funny because those the people that are in MFAs would probably be like, Oh, I hate fraternity sororities, but they're basically in them, right? Like that's, that's an interesting comparison, but it, it makes so- a lot of It makes a lot of sense because, yeah, you you go Greek is often for your career later. So you have those connections in whatever world, the financial world or or political world. And it's very similar in the literary world. You get the MFA and they bring in agents to talk to you. They bring in editors. They bring in, you know, fancy writers like Roxanne and other people and you get to meet them and maybe they'll read your work and champion it. And it's almost like
0: the couch casting thing or something, but for writers, like it's really Yeah. yeah. So
1: it is, it is about money in that yeah, you're most of those people are probably upper middle class. And so
0: yeah, I'll reference a little piece because I was I was reading about this quite a bit. And there's a, an essay called Who Killed Creative Writing? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of about this controversy. And that's actually how I heard about it was from an independent news source. Um, but there's a quote that popped out to me. Um, it's basically this this writer questioning kind of why they did an MFA. And the writer says, like, you know, did I even respect the work of my peers or were we just pretending to be interested in one another in order to keep getting invited to parties? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then and then, the writer, <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? And then the writer says, I remember them as such. I loved going to parties and seeing my friends, but maybe the pleasure was nothing more than the lukewarm embrace of superficial belonging. And the phrase, the lukewarm embrace of superficial belonging has been ringing in my ears since.
1: <laughs> That's kind of the literary world in general, right? Like if you yes part of a collective or whatever that's kind of the best case scenario, yeah, <laughs> you it's... really have to forge ahead independently as an artist, I think if you want to just not be part of the sheep, I guess I don't know, like be I... your own person with your own opinions and style and everything right like
0: this is part of my thing too is like i i don't know this is my take when i when i started going to school for first for uh, literature and then and then briefly for writing i found at first i was thrilled because i was like oh my gosh you finally get to meet other people who are who are you know quote like you unquote right (laughs) and then you go in and you're excited and you're like oh parties people that are similar people that actually have similar interests and then you walk out and you're like actually they're not like me and it makes Mm. you feel like even worse i don't know like oh
1: yeah like if you're the one that doesn't fit in and yeah yeah we <laughs> um, should be glad you're not fitting.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a kind thing to say. Um, part of, part of why I thought it was interesting too, there's a lot of follow-up pieces. I I know we're kind of running out of time. Sorry, I was just like wanting to ramble with you, but but yeah. part of the interesting aspect of this too, I guess, is like. I think it's interesting because a lot of people have pointed out that to make money doing writing is actually hard. Like it's almost like this like snooty hobby nowadays. Like you don't really make a lot of money like during COVID, um because of like a lot of the lockdowns and stuff. I started doing some freelance writing and I found that it was like I mean it was nice cuz you could do it almost anywhere, but it was awful because I would make more money at my serving job. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't I think historically you can't as an artist whether you're painting or writing expect to make money at your art like you know, you think of van gogh dying broke and having almost what no success at all i mean you just have to expect that like i I don't know i don't see any other way like you so that's the the half you're saying that's going into academia knowing they're going to teach and they're going to stay in academia so they have to kind of give up part of their soul right they've got to like (laughs) kind of check out a little bit brain wise like and go along with all the stuff that they're being told to say and not say. And, and so if you want to be Van Gogh, you're going to have to (laughs) work some crap job or starve or something. I don't know. You have to figure it out, I guess. Yeah. Figure figure it out. Yeah. yeah.
0: So but to kind of like finish off the interview before they like kick us off uh-huh. um, I did want to kind of ask you like about how you want to end the interview because your interview with Alex ends <laughs> for some reason it reminded me a little bit of the ending of the movie Greece, where they just like drive off in the flying car like it's kind of oh. it like makes sense but it doesn't make sense the okay. interview ends with this is America in, in, cap, in caps which I thought was great um, okay, that was <laughs> Alex. Yeah. um. so I wanted to ask to end off this interview how did you want to end off this interview do you have like a this is America statement that you want to throw out there or do you um, is there a project that you want to highlight that you're working on do you Um, I know I understand that you publish books so if you want to highlight that too maybe for people who have something going on they want to send in
1: yeah I am well I'm publishing three new books by other writers one of them Gary O. Lutz who's one of the best writers living today and this is going to be her last book and it's all her journals and diaries from 40 years, 50 years. And it's going to be amazing. And the second thing is that I'm working on a comedy book called my my one hour comedy special, because to me, one of the most important artists right now is Dave Chappelle. And I am obsessed with Dave Chappelle Mm -hmm. and he's not afraid and he's also brilliant. And so I'm trying to write some kind of comedy as an ode to him and his art and his fearlessness.
0: I think comedy is a great choice because a few months ago I was interviewing a professor who like wrote about artificial intelligence and art and he pointed out that artificial intelligence cannot do comedy it's like such Mm. a human form of art so like that's actually that's actually pretty cool um but I always like to ask people before we get kicked off is there anything that you'd like to say or like anything you'd like to ask me
1: are you gonna be a sheep no <laughs> no i'm not
0: the fact that i'm interviewing you i won't be a sheep i appreciate you doing this interview i'm so um, sorry You're if this was helter you know. skelter i'm moving as well so like i just kind of set up in my friend's apartment um but anyway um they're gonna kick us off but like thank okay. you
1: for... let me know what happens with it okay
0: for those who just tuned in you just listened to an episode of writer's block on cgsw 90.9 fm Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of every month from 8 to 8.30 p.m. That was my interview with Elizabeth Ellen, editor of Hobart Pulp. If you missed the full interview, you can always listen again on cjsw.com slash writers block. Thank you for tuning in and see you next month.